welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and thank you all for tuning in today. We are coming to you live from a beautiful spring, almost summer-like day here in New York City, uh, here on TalkingAlternative.com. And as if you've been listening to the past couple of shows this month, the month of March, uh, we're sort of continuing our month-long series on pain. Last week, if you tune in, tuned in last week, you got to hear my interview uh, from last year with Dr. David Butler, and it was a great interview based on his book, Explain Pain and the Biopsychosocial Approach to Pain Treatment, not Pain Management, which is one thing that um, he really advocated during his lectures last year at the APTA conference in Washington, D.C. Um, so I had the privilege, like I said, of hearing him speak at the conference, and he was gracious enough to let me interview him while he was here on vacation in New York City. So a big thank you to David Butler. And the week before, I had Corey Zimney on, and we got some great feedback from a couple of physical therapists around the country and said that it really helped them with dealing with their patients when they come in with acute pain. So a big thank you to Corey. And today's show, I'm happy to continue this talk of pain going, and I have another great physical therapist as my guest. It's Vicki Saliba Johnson. And I have actually had the pleasure of being taught by Vicki with her back education and training through the Institute of Physical Art. And I think I've taken all but one course, which is uh, FMUQ, Functional Mobilization for the Upper Quarter. So Vicki, thank you so much for being on the show and taking the time out. You're welcome. So like I said, uh, uh, I took a course with Vicki, her back education and training course, probably, I would say, like six years ago, maybe longer, maybe seven years ago. Um, so first of all, Vicki, let me, I'm going to have you kind of give us a little bit of background on your history in the uh, field of physical therapy. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me here today, Karen. Um, well, I became a physical therapist in 1977, and my passion, even as a student, was movement. I had always been drawn to just love to analyze movement and try to facilitate efficient movement. So back in the 70s, one of the most common approaches to movement re-education was proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. So as a student, I gravitated toward this and did one of my affiliations so that I could learn more and was drawn to then apply and enter the residency program at Vallejo, California. I was very fortunate, even though I was told there was a 12-year waiting list, I was able to get in in six months. Wow. And my first four weeks were Maggie's last month ever at Kaiser Vallejo. So I was very fortunate to meet Maggie Nod and be inspired by her. And also my first four weeks at uh Vallejo were Greg Johnson's last four weeks. He had been a primary instructor there for seven years. So I began my career doing just what I'd always loved, focusing on function and focusing on movement. And just so people listening, if they're unaware of who Maggie Knott is. Well, Maggie Knott, together with Dr. Cabot, developed the approach of proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, otherwise known as PNF. And this is an approach to neuromuscular and motor control restoration and rehabilitation. And it initiated back in the late 1940s and has been going strong ever since. And we initially began using PNF with our neuropatients, but over the years began to see a very strong application with our orthopedic patients. 
And as I'll talk about later, just mm -hmm. basically with humans in general, facilitating efficient function. Great. And again, you also mentioned Greg Johnson. Do you want to tell everyone who that person is? <laughs> well, I guess I should start out by saying yes. he is my husband yes. and the father of my children. <laughs> so I met Greg at Kaiser and once he left um, and I finished the program, we went into practice together. And that was actually the beginning of the Institute of Physical Art. And so Greg has been my partner in life and business and play for the last 34 years. Right. And that's a whole other show, everyone. I had I actually <laughs> <laughs> had someone ask me you should have like the spouses of physical therapists on and then she said no you should have like two physical therapists on who are married and kind of see how that one works so that's a whole other show we'll come back <laughs> that's a whole other show so the institute of physical art and a lot of people in the physical therapy prevent profession have heard of the institute of physical art perhaps have taken several of the courses so let's talk about the origin of institute of physical art what gap was there, I guess, back in the 70s that you guys felt needed to be filled? Okay, and I think it's important to let me begin by saying that we didn't always have a directive by saying, there's a gap, let's fill it. It was more, we just felt guided and directed to continue sharing what we had been blessed to understand in our profession. And so um, I really, in order to talk about the history of the Institute of Physical Art, I need to give a little bit of Greg's history because he's uh, seven years older than I am and therefore had a jump start on me in the profession. He actually graduated in 1971 and also went directly to Kaiser Vallejo, did the internship there, and then became faculty underneath Maggie. Um, Greg, back in the 70s, it's important to understand where we were as a profession. We were still pretty much technicians. We were doing what we were told to do, given a prescription, told to follow. But we had some very inspirational people in our profession that were beginning to challenge us to think outside of the box. Those such as Stanley Paris, who brought a lot of great knowledge and education to our country in the area of joint mobilization. Um, Syriax, who was not a physical therapist, but a lot of people studied with him. Ola Grinsby, Roccobato. These are people that were inspiring us as therapists to begin to look at the function of the human body from a joint perspective. So Greg had studied a lot of these great people and a lot with these great people in the 70s, and he was treating his orthopedic patients with PNF to restore efficient movement, with joint mobilization to restore efficient mechanics. And he would have patients come into the clinic that he'd been working with, and then maybe he'd taken a two-week vacation. And when he came back, they would say, I'm so much better. And he would say, great, what was it I did? And they would say, well, actually, while you were on vacation, <laughs> uh -oh. I went and saw someone for Rolfing or Traeger work. And what Greg did, and I think one of the things that I've always admired the most about him is that instead of being judgmental when someone said they did something else that made them better, he immediately said, what is it that they are offering that I am not? I am a physical therapist. I should be treating the entire body. Why is it that I'm not offering this service? 
So this was the beginning of him in the mid-70s beginning to look outside of our profession and say, what is this system that they're treating that we are obviously not treating? Well, that was the entire fascial system, which, of course, back then, we as physical therapists, we just ripped that stuff out when we did our dissections. Mm -hmm. We didn't really pay attention to its function. So Greg studied the fascial system for many years. And during this time, he began to look at how we could incorporate and integrate this treatment of this system into the profession of physical therapy. So he began to look at and extrapolate from these other systems the biomechanical aspects of their approach because he didn't want to be a rolfer. That wasn't what he was trained as. He was trained as a physical therapist. And he tried to understand, though, how does the fascia interdigitate with the muscles and the osseous surfaces? And how does it interface with the nerves and the vascular system and even the viscera that we should be looking and evaluating and treating this? So in the latter part of the 1970s, Greg actually developed soft tissue mobilization. The term had never been used, never been Uh, addressed in our profession and in 1979 he taught the very first soft tissue mobilization course and in 1980 presented at combined sections meeting oh my god i know (laughs) i know (laughs) and and it was very interesting a lot of people were not really sure about this they were like oh we don't really need to deal with that stuff But Greg persevered because he knew he was seeing changes in his patients that he had not seen before when he integrated this soft tissue work Mm -hmm. together with his joint and motor control and neuromuscular education. That's great. And, you know, we're going to just take a really quick break. And when we come back, we're going to kind of continue this discussion on the evolution of uh, the Institute of Physical Art and get into the why behind, uh, behind it all. So everyone stay tuned and we'll be right back with Vicki Johnson. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Hi, this is psychic medium Betsy Cohen, host of the show The Power of Intuition. Join me at TalkingAlternative.com Mondays at 11 a.m. Call in for a free psychic reading. Learn how to tune into your intuition to feel better and to create your optimum life. I'm here to guide you and to assist you in creating the life that you deserve. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you feeling overwhelmed in the current chaos of our changing times? 
A deeper understanding of authentic astrology can uncover solutions in every area of life. After all, metaphysics is just quantum physics, poetically expressed. I am Montgomery Taylor, and I offer lectures, seminars, and private consultations. For more information, contact me at Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at rljmedia.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by physical therapist, Vicki Johnson. And if anyone is listening and they would like to call in and ask a question to either myself or Vicki, you can do so by calling in toll-free at 877-480-4120. So as we left off last segment, we were kind of talking about uh, the beginnings of the Institute of Physical Art. And we sort of left off at about 1978, 1980. So I'll have Vicki, you can go ahead and, and continue. Which, of course, is continuously dating myself and <laughs> my husband. Okay. But that's okay, you know. <laughs> We're just getting stronger the older we get. Um, anyway, so the question was, what was the origin of the Institute of Physical Art? And I was giving a little history of how even before the Institute of Physical Art became an entity, Greg was already in the creative process of not just teaching others things that were already there, but making sure that we were meeting the full needs of our patients. So um, I met Greg in 1978, and by the fall of 1978, we had put together a teaching organization because Maggie, before she died in December of 1978, had actually sat down with Greg and I and said, that the two of us should begin trying to take PNF outside of Kaiser to those people who couldn't take three and six months away from their home and their family to come to Vallejo. And Greg and I were so passionate about what PNF offered a physical therapy and a physical therapist in terms of their ability to effectively make changes in patients that we wanted to really share this enthusiasm and passion with other people. So we began the Institute of Physical Art in 1978 purely for the purpose of teaching proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation around the country. But then, as I said earlier, Greg began, had begun developing the soft tissue mobilization, and our first soft tissue mobilization course was actually Functional Orthopedics One, And he taught that for the first time in 1979. And so now we were offering courses on neuromuscular and motor control and soft tissue mobilization. Well, some interesting things were happening around the world in the early 1980s um, in the orthopedic realm. In the orthopedic world, those that were treating pain and primarily pain and dysfunctions associated with pain began to look at the therapy that was being offered and realized that as orthopedic therapists, there was a big part missing, which had to do with the motor control. 
And the big emphasis that began to arrive, to begin to be illuminated back then was that we were not looking at the stabilization or as we now call it core control of the trunk. And there were several groups around the world that were starting to really look at this. There was a group in Scandinavia, there was a group in Australia, and there was a group in Northern California. And the group in Northern California was myself, Greg Johnson, Michael Moore, Dennis Morgan, and Eileen Volowitz. And the unique aspect of the Northern California contingency was that all of us had had our origins at Kaiser Vallejo mm-hmm. studying PNF. Mm-hmm. So if you had gone through that program, you had spent a large part of your time treating the neurological patient. So therefore, your entire focus was function. Every time you looked at a patient, every time you watched them walk, you were looking at them from the perspective of how is their system functioning as a whole. So when we took that same premise and we rolled it into the orthopedic realm, we did the same thing. We would watch a patient with back pain walk and we would go, wow, they don't have the same trunk control that our neuro patients needed to walk. Maybe our orthopedic patients should have that same control. So we were looking at this whole issue of stabilization, working together with some physicians, actually, who were very involved in trying to understand stabilization here in the United States. Unfortunately, there wasn't any research back then. We didn't have the technology to do the phenomenal research that we have the you know nowadays the ability to do research in the lab has taken us to whole new levels in our profession back then we had clinical outcomes your research was if i do this on 30 patients and 28 of them get better i have a statistically significant outcome right so We began to look at this whole issue of stabilization, but those of us in Northern California came at it from the PNF perspective. And I'd like to just say, when we were working with our neuro patients back in the late 70s and early 80s, and we had someone, let's say, that had had a stroke, well, the first thing we wanted that patient to be able to do was to roll. Sure. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. Now, think about what a child does when it's born. First, it lays on its back, and it kind of flails its arms and legs, or you put it on its stomach, and it starts moving a little bit. But one of the very first functional activities that a child does... Is rolling. Is to roll. Yeah. Exactly. So think about then, one step back, what is required on a neuromuscular and motor control level in order to be able to roll? Right. So you need abdominal control, and you need... Basically, for lack of a better term, trunk control. You need trunk control, but you also need efficient strategies. Sure. You see, and so this is where in the Institute of Physical Art, we tend to differentiate the terms neuromuscular Mm -hmm. from motor control. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to just define that now because it'll make the rest of our time together a little easier. So when I speak of neuromuscular, I speak of do the muscles have the ability to initiate, have appropriate strength, and appropriate endurance. Mm -hmm. So it's very specifically the muscles. So Mm -hmm. think of it this way. If you have a sprinter who's training to run, that sprinter goes into the gym and works his quads and his hamstrings and his gastroc on a machine to get the strength and endurance. 
But just having the initiation strength and endurance is not enough. You have to make sure the proper strategies are there. And that's all the work now that people like Mosley and Hodges mm-hmm. are doing by looking at the brain and mm-hmm. imaging the brain and understanding how things change in the function on the homunculi related to how it changes in our body. Right. Right. So, you know, I think what's important is what you said before is a lot of times in orthopedics, they were looking at things just biomedically. So maybe just muscles, just a broken bone, fix the bone, a pulled muscle, a strain. Whereas you want to really take into account the the nervous system as more of as a bigger part of your rehabilitation versus just just a muscle on its own you know, taking into account that it has a nervous system along with it. And I think, you know, using like the PNF techniques, you're really utilizing everything. It's not just, well, I'm, you know, I think a lot of therapists, we were talking about this earlier, you hate to be sort of pigeonholed as a therapist and saying, well, it's a strain, we're just going to put ice, heat and stim on it and then not worry about it because it'll just be better. You know, you have to incorporate these techniques to, to make it work. Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that we try to always emphasize through our educational programs in the Institute of Physical Art is that we have to treat the body three-dimensionally. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that we have to first look, look at the mechanical system. Do we have efficient mobility in all the tissues of the body? Right. Joints, right. soft tissue, viscera, vascular, then look at the neuromuscular system. Can the muscles even initiate and then we have methods to re-educate the strategies that are necessary to have efficient function? Right, exactly. Well said. And on that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Vicki Johnson. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Is your marriage in trouble? Are you considering divorce? Hello, I'm Lawrence Bloom, a family law attorney in New York and New Jersey. No one is happier than the day their divorce is final. My firm can help you. We take the nasty out of the divorce process and make people happy. Please call us at 212-964-3502 for a free consultation. That's Lawrence H. Bloom at 212-964-3502. We make people happy.
Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. To drink too much By most standards I still do Gave up smoking years ago Though I'm known to sneak a few Finally got off of caffeine Except for a cup or two But I quit falling in love the day I Fell in love with you. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by fellow physical therapist, Vicki Saliba Johnson. Uh, Vicki is one of the co-founders of the Institute of Physical Art, and we'll talk about this more towards the end, but they are moving here to New York City, which is very exciting, And but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, like I said earlier, I took a class with Vicki was teaching a number of years ago, and at the time it was called BET, which is Back Education and Training, um, but let's talk a little bit about, because now it's kind of been revamped, I guess, so let's talk a little bit about how that course has changed and, and why. Thank you. Um, Karen, I think what I notice most about the classes that Greg and I teach is that they continuously evolve because it's very important to Greg and I that what we're teaching is truly representative of what we're doing in the clinic. And if Greg and I weren't evolving over the last 40 years, something's wrong. Well, nor would you have this company anymore because people would have sort of thrown it to the, exactly. to the wayside. That's right. So as I was saying earlier, in the early 1980s, you know, we were looking at stabilization now with our orthopedic patients. And we were recognizing that the same core control and trunk control that was required for our neuro patients was also required for our spine patients. And that, yes, in fact, those patients that did not have pain or dysfunction in their lumbar spine tended to have an inherently more dynamically stable spine. Mm -hmm. They had better controlled mobility, as we say. And Greg actually developed a test back in the early 1980s called the Lumbar Protective Mechanism mm -hmm. Test. And he did a little study with a physician out of San Francisco, and they worked with some runners. And that was in the days of the early video cameras. Uh -huh. But they actually videotaped um, some runners on a treadmill without pain and then videotaped some runners with pain. And first they just analyzed the motor control of these runners on the treadmill and they saw consistently in the patients with pain that there was this instability or poor motor strategy as the uh, runner would run on the treadmill. Greg coupled that with a manual test where he could determine whether or not the core or the deep muscles of the trunk, as we called them mm -hmm. back then, which we now understand those muscles and what muscles those are, he called that the lumbar protective mechanism a test where he could assess whether or not these muscles fired automatically, not just volitionally. Mm -hmm. Because anyone can tighten their muscles and hold themselves rigid. And it was interesting because when we were first studying stabilization, a lot of what 
was circulating around the world was to teach your patient to tighten their muscles and hold themselves in a stable position. I'll never forget one day in the clinic. I'd been, you know, working to develop these methods of training my patients and working with the stabilization for several years now. It was in about 1984, 85 now. And this one patient came into the clinic, and he was an orthopedic surgeon. And I was teaching him how to stabilize, or as we call it, brace, and then move in sitting, and then move in standing. And he looked at me after I'd spent about 15 minutes teaching him. He says, now, you're saying you want me to hold this tight while I do my activities? And I said, yes, it'll protect your back. It'll make you better. And he says, Vicki... My surgeries are typically three hours. Are you serious that you want me to hold my back (laughs) while I'm doing surgery? I went home that night and cried. Uh (laughs) I really did. I I looked at Greg and I said, I feel like a failure. I said, what are we missing here? And that was a turning point for us because we realized that for us to effectively reeducate our patients, we had to develop what we now call core first strategies. Strategies in which the patient had the appropriate mechanics to do the movement they wanted. Strategies which depended on the existing presence of the neuromuscular system being Mm -hmm. efficient Mm -hmm. so that the right muscles, such as the transverse abdominis, the deep fibers of the psoas, the quadratus, the internal oblique, all of these that work synergistically together, Mm -hmm. the multifidi, the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, and he's, even as Dr. Massery will tell us now, the vocal cords, <laughs> that we know now that these muscles must, first of all, have the ability to That's initiate. Right. That's right. And and I think what, what's interesting before, as you said, back in the early 80s, you didn't have the technology we do today to even see if they're initiating. Whereas now, and you mentioned before, the work of Paul Hodges and all that he has done to really illustrate uh, even just the initiation of some of these muscles or the lack thereof exactly. in painful in painful conditions, it's speaking on the low back particularly. Exactly. And so what we've been, you know, you bring up a very interesting point. With PNF, you actually, through your hands, know if something is initiating or not. Mm-hmm. What the wonderful research has provided us is a magnifying glass to identify what we have been feeling all these years and to know that. Mm -hmm. And so the work of Hodges and many others has shown us not only which muscles are working, but the hierarchy of the importance of the different muscles. And it's taking us to an even different level, which is helping us in some of the research we're doing today to better understand. Again, it goes back to a core for strategy should be automatic. Mm-hmm. When you go to open a door, when you go to pick up a box, you're, you should not have to cognitively think about how am I firing my muscles to do this efficiently. Right. If you look at women in third world countries that carry 100-pound bags on their heads, they have beautiful alignment. Yeah. You know why? If they don't, they can't carry 100 pounds, right? They'll collapse. Yeah, that's right. If you watch women in certain countries where they have to work on the ground a lot, their spines are usually beautifully straight because they automatically have learned strategies that are the most efficient for them. Mm -hmm. So our job is to re-educate our patients to know 
these strategies so these muscles can fire automatically. And that is where a lot of our work evolved to over the last 25 years, especially in the area of neuromuscular motor control. Oh, no, I was going to say, and when you say our job as a therapist is to help the patient, and is that through just education or hands-on, having them feel the muscle, having them move, you know, using obviously PNF techniques, but does that encompass both patient education and hands-on at the same time, or is it mostly just kind of hands-on, I guess? All-inclusive. All-inclusive. Here's why. Going back to the IPA premise, premise, we like to call ourselves M&M therapists, like M&Ms that you love, Mm -hmm. but for uh, mechanical, neuromuscular, motor control. So when we're working with a patient, we put our hands on the patient, Mm -hmm. we determine is the system mechanically available to do the task at hand Mm -hmm. in the same methodology. And then the same technique, if you use functional mobilization, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Mm -hmm. you're assessing also the neuromuscular and you're, if you feel it's not efficient, you immediately transition into a neuromuscular technique, Mm -hmm. a facilitation technique Mm -hmm. as your neuromuscular is showing itself to be efficient, you then transition into a motor control education, which encompasses not only hands-on, but the visual and the verbal as well. Mm -hmm. And the repetition of movements, training your patient to kinesthetically and proprioceptively sense what it feels like to move their body and developing exercise programs and movement awareness programs that give them the ability to repeat this over and over till it becomes automatic. Right, right. Because the I mean, I think a lot of what a lot of people have to remember, whether you're the patient or the therapist, is the goal is to make that patient autonomous. You know, you want that patient to be able to go out into the world and not have to rely on the physical therapist for their entire life. So by giving that patient the tools, I think, one, to feel what it should feel like to initiate a movement and then to feel what it should feel like to control a movement it's a lot easier for that patient to go and do it on their own then once they know proprioceptively, like you said, kinesthetically, what it feels like to do that movement. And I think, you know, when we come back after this break, I'm going to give Vicki a little example of something that I heard a couple of weeks ago um, as to why what she just said is so important and why you maybe need that guide or that teacher of the physical therapist first to then let you go out into the world. So we're going to take a break and come right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Carol Ward from the Body Mind Wellness Program, Listen to my show for ideas and information to help you live a healthier life in body, mind, and spirit. You'll hear from terrific guests who are experts in the areas of health, wellness, and creativity. So join me every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on TalkingAlternative.com, professionals serving community. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. 
Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving communications. That's the answer. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. Again, I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by physical therapist, Vicki Saliba Johnson. And again, if anyone has any questions, you can call in at 877-480-4120. You can call in toll-free. Um, so last segment, we were uh, sort of talking about uh, how as physical therapists, we can help with both motor control, neuromuscular facilitation by, you know, putting our hands on people and kind of feeling that initiation, that movement. And in the segment before, Vicki was talking about uh, a study that, that Greg did years ago looking at runners on a treadmill, looking at how someone who is injury-free runs and someone who has an injury is running. And sort of the lack of trunk control kind of in that runner so over the break, we were sort of talking about how I, I had had a referral of a, a high school girl who actually did run track. She was actually a runner, which is how she said she, quote unquote, injured herself. But usually as a physical therapist, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of therapists out there can, can sympathize with this, is you get a prescription that says back pain, strength, and core. And that's all you get, back pain, strength, and core. And so Vicki had some, uh, you know, some really interesting... Uh, insights into that. So I'll kind of let you take that. Uh, earlier when I was defining the difference between neuromuscular and motor control, I, you know, we talked about neuromuscular, mm -hmm. the ability to initiate, and we actually used a track runner as an example. For the neuromuscular, they go into the gym and they get super strong. Mm -hmm. But just because you're super strong in the gym on all the equipment does not mean you're going to go to state 
when you get out there and run the 100 or 200. What takes you to state is your ability to develop strategies which allow you to most efficiently use your available strength. That's right. So a young teenager may come in with back pain, and yes, they may have a weak core. But just strengthening the core will not always remediate the problem because sometimes they have in the process of having a weak core develop poor strategies of movement. So our job as a therapist is once again, make sure they've got the mechanics to be able to do what it is you want them to do. That's where we get into the functional mobilization, which is a method that Greg developed, which allows you to mobilize joints and soft tissues and viscera and the vascular and the nervous system according to the functional activity. You don't just do it passively in non-weight-bearing positions. You put them in the positions where they're Mm -hmm. able to cause the pain. So you make sure they have the mechanical system. You do get them stronger. You put them on a strengthening program, Mm -hmm. but then you... Make sure that their life is an exercise. And so the way I tell my patients, because you said something very, very important at the end of the last segment. You said our most important goal is to make our patients independent. And, and that should be the number one goal. When your patient walks in the door is the contract between you and that patient is where do we need to get you so you can live your life? As we say in the Institute of Physical Art, our slogan is, We want to unlock your potential so that you can live efficiently. So how can I unlock your potential to live efficiently? Well, I have to look at your strategies of motion and help teach you how to find new strategies so that every minute of every day, as you are just living your life, you're exercising. Mm -hmm. If you're using your body efficiently all day long, naturally automatically your core's firing all day long and it's exercising and you don't have to go lie on a mat three times a week to do exercises because every time if you use efficient mechanics when you bend down a hundred times a day to pick something up you're using your legs appropriately and at 57 years old i can tell you i don't have to be in a gym five days a week to be as strong as i am but i use my body efficiently every minute of every day mm-hmm. and i think that's important i think that's important not only for the patient but I think it's also important for the therapist treating the patient, um, not to kind of break break off that uh, train of thought. But you know, I've been to FO one and FO two and FMLQ, and what I always what I always liked about the course is that, or even the PNF course. I think Maria Meigel might have been was it? No, that might have been. Uh, anyway, at any rate. Um, Oh, it was Mara. Mara, uh, Mara, yes. Mara taught the PNF course. From Massachusetts, yes. yes. So Mara is a really petite Very little petite, thing. Very petite, yes. And, but what was great is she would give me strategies to keep my body in an efficient position when treating the patients. And so that way I don't have to worry about sort of injuring myself or falling out of pattern myself because I'm trying to treat a patient in a position that's not efficient for my life. Well, the the interesting thing, this is a real fundamental premise throughout all of our courses, Karen, because, and also in our residency and fellowship that we work very, very intensively with our fellows and our residents to learn how to effectively use their bodies during treatment. Mm -hmm. Two reasons. What you end up transferring in terms of force and 
to your patient is more efficient mm-hmm. and more effective, therefore. For the patient. For the yeah. patient. The patient can de- can actually feel a difference when your body is aligned efficiently and when it's not. Absolutely. And number two is that your own proprioceptors are more sensitive and feeling what you're trying to assess mm-hmm. in terms of infill and the patient if your body is relaxed. So I like to tell my uh, students in my classes, it's all about physics. And, you know, I hated physics I in college. <laughs> I used, uh-huh. In fact, one of the reasons I became a physical therapist instead of an MD was physics. It's like, uh-huh. okay, I only have to take one semester of this right. instead of two. But now I realize everything we do is about physics Absolutely. and lever arms. arms. And when we align ourself efficiently with our mm-hmm. patients, the force that we're generating transfers more efficiently. And that's what we teach our patients. What I tell that's my right. patients is everything we do in life, there's one thing we have to deal with. No matter where you live, no matter what you do, you have to deal with gravity. Yeah. Gravity is always there. And so if you have to deal with gravity in everything you do, then your strategies for dealing with gravity should be ones that want to minimize the force that can deteriorate your joints and maximize the efficiency of the force translating through your system. And this is where the one of the other functional tests that we developed, the vertical compression test, came from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a reverse ground reaction force test. Mm-hmm. How does our system absorb and translate force? And everything we train our patients to do should be something that maximizes the efficiency of our relationship to gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, and for those who, the, um, Vertical compression, the vertical compression test. Just for those of you who don't know what it is, do you want to? Well, it's. I'm a, in the studio actually <laughs> mimicking how to do it. Right we now. are actually. It's very exciting right now. I'll just quickly throw this in that uh, several years ago, um, I formed after many many months of dealing with the IRS, a nonprofit organization, the Functional Manual Therapy Foundation, for the purpose of promoting research in the area of functional manual therapy. Which functional manual therapy is the approach that we teach through the Institute of Physical Art. And through one of the research projects that we're doing is at Stanford University, and we're actually working in collaboration with the Department of Artificial Intelligence there, and we're doing some wonderful um, scientific analysis now of the three functional tests that we teach in the mm-hmm. Institute of Physical Art, our lumbar protective mechanism, our vertical compression tests, and our elbow flexion test. Mm-hmm. And these three tests are test for the clinician to be able to know whether or not there is an effectiveness to the technique that they have applied mm-hmm. a functional effectiveness mm-hmm. and you and we you and we also use these tests to correlate the importance of efficient alignment with automatic automatic activation of the core or mm-hmm. trunk stability mm-hmm. And when does that, when will that research be? Well, you're just in what the analysis phase? We are, we have collect, we've had two, uh, we've had two sessions of collecting data now. We've worked, we have collected data on 30 subjects and eight different nationalities and men and women. And we are compiling those results and hope to be submitting for publication within about three months. Great. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Congratulations. It's very exciting. (laughs) It is. And I think it'll be also nice to, 
you know, because the the profession of physical therapy, as we're pushing ourselves to be evidence based practice, I think it's important to have the why behind and to give validity to the why. Because as we said, as Vicky said earlier, in the in the seventies and the eighties, you had clinical outcomes. You know, because you didn't That's have it. the the fancy testing. We didn't ability. have the imaging we have yeah. now today. And so now to be able to validate what you have been feeling through the hand, through your hands and maybe seeing through clinical outcomes, I think is very exciting. It's very important. Yeah. And it's very important. Absolutely. It, right. And we're, we're actually doing a research project on soft tissue mobilization as well down at the university of California, San Diego, mm-hmm. and looking at what are we actually causing what to happen we, yes. when and we I, do soft tissue mobilization on a I physiological level. a lot of people mm-hmm. who would be interested in, in yes. hearing that. Yes. So we'll definitely look forward to, to when those results come back. And on that, we're going to take a quick break. And everyone stay tuned for our final segment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you feeling overwhelmed in the current chaos of our changing times? A deeper understanding of authentic astrology can uncover solutions in every area of life. After all, metaphysics is just quantum physics, poetically expressed. I am Montgomery Taylor, and I offer lectures, seminars, and private consultations. For more information, contact me at Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at rljmedia.com. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212 212- 721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and joined today by physical therapist Vicki Saliba Johnson, one of the co-founders of the Institute of Physical Art. And uh, I think one question that I always kind of like to ask all of my physical therapists that that come on, and Vicki and I spoke briefly about it before the show, was where do you see the future of physical therapy going 
And where do you see the Institute of Physical Art as weaving into that future? Uh, very good question and a very important concept for us as professionals to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our profession is very much still in its evolutionary phase. I think we are still changing and growing as our knowledge base continues to expand, as our professional degrees all reach the level of doctorate mm-hmm. very soon within our country. Um, I think that we as physical therapists are an integral part of the medical team. And if you ask me personally where I think we belong, I think we belong as a triage with anyone with physical medicine issues. I think that we should be able to see patients initially and refer them on to the physician and do the initial screening because we have such a broad base of knowledge. The problem is that not our entire profession is at that level. So we're going to have to delineate those who are trained and willing to be primary caregivers right. or to direct be, and direct access, yeah. direct access. We have to delineate those people who want to be there first. What is the educational level that's needed? The post degree educational level that's needed. Right. I like Continuing to tell exactly. I like to tell my students, you know, your, your doctorate of physical therapy is not your terminal degree. It that's is right. your license to learn. That's right. You now have a license to learn and the learning begins. And we're very proud in the Institute of Physical Art. We have an APTA credentialed residency program. We have about 16 locations around the country and we have 17 current residents. We also have an AAOMPT, which is the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy, which is a subsidiary of IFOMP. We have a credentialed fellowship program, and we have a location in Steamboat Springs. And our new location, our flagship IPA clinical services clinic here in Manhattan is IPA Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're moving into our new space today, uh-huh. actually, <laughs> on 48th and Madison. And you can just Google us as IPA Manhattan. And so I believe that the fellowship training is very important because that fellowship training takes us to that level of competency where we can really deal with the um, clinical reasoning that is required. Mm-hmm. I think our profession, though, worldwide is changing. I know that Greg and I are involved through the Institute of Physical Art in changing the face of physical therapy in the country of India. Mm-hmm. We now have a, a clinical program over there as well as an educational program. We're expanding to Japan and Brazil in a way to try to just continue to encourage therapists to, one, have confidence in who they are, have fun with what they do, and remember that we have the opportunity as physical therapists to change people's lives and give people hope. There's a physical therapist that I greatly admire named Gail Wetzler, works with the Burrell Institute. She has a slogan on the wall in her clinic. She says, change your body, change your life. And I believe that we are facilitators of change and that we need to keep our focus on function, make sure that we develop the skills and the clinical reasoning to look beyond what's staring us in the face, to be artists. This is why we are the Institute of Physical Art. We consider every human body that comes into our clinic a palette. You know, sometimes you create art, sometimes you restore art. Mm-hmm. Our job is to determine as an artist, what does this palette need and what can we offer? 
Yeah. And, I, you know, I think it's it's important what Vicki said earlier is just because you have your degree, it doesn't mean that the learning has ended, especially in the field of physical therapy, because like Vicki said before, they're doing new studies. People are doing new studies. New information is coming out every day. And to have your degree and just think that you're going to stop is it's irresponsible to you. It's irresponsible to whoever paid for your college, whether it was you or your parents or your loans that you're now in debt for. And it's irresponsible to your patients because you have to really go in with the focus of your patients first. And if you're not interested in enriching yourself, how are you supposed to pass that along to your patients? So I think that that's really important for the future of our profession is that every person who's in the profession continues to gain knowledge and continues to want that drive to, to, to learn more. I agree. Well, I would like to invite all our listeners that you can join us on the Institute of Physical Art dot com to see what's happening. You can also go to our Facebook page and we also have a lot of fun interaction sometimes. Uh, when you get involved in the Institute, we have a Google group that does clinical reasoning okay. online. So uh, feel free to contact us. And Karen, thank you very much You're for very letting me welcome. be here today and share and talk about obviously a profession that I have had for 34 and will continue for many more years to be extremely passionate about. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And next week, be sure to tune in. I'm going to have physical therapist Sandy Hilton on. Uh, She is a big part of the Women's Health Division through the APTA, and we're going to be talking about uh, treating pelvic pain. So everyone, tune in for that next week. And in the meantime, stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Looking to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright but still haven't found the one? Want to make your current relationship as fulfilling as possible? Then tune in on Thursdays at 1 p.m. for Love in the Afternoon with Marnie Gallison. As a professional matchmaker, I've seen it all. With distinguished authors, industry gurus, and experts on everything from wine to fashion, join us as we discuss dating, relationships, and more on TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, I'm Julie. Hi, I'm Julia. What What are are you wearing? wearing? Welcome Welcome to to J&J's Secrets of Style and Beauty. We know there's beauty and style in all you do, whether it's a job interview, first date, or wedding. We also know that not everyone understands what works best for him or her. We're here to help. Think of us as your personal beauty, style, and grooming gurus. As industry experts, we'll give you the best information for men and women on how to look phenomenal. Tune in Tuesdays at 8 p.m. to learn how to look your best. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk. For the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower 
Listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. TalkingAlternative.com 